Have you ever felt like an outsider? Like maybe you just didn't belong? Like maybe you, maybe even in your own family, you just kind of always had that black sheep identity, mentality. The family gathering could be going all around and you're perfectly comfortable just kind of on the outsides. Or maybe you're just so uh, perfectly comfortable being uncomfortable, they're just used to being an outsider, that uh, maybe everybody in the room speaks the same language, but it feels like they're saying something that you just don't quite understand. This morning, I want to look at this passage through the lens of the outsider, through the lens of the shepherds. You see, our big idea, or our main idea this morning is this, is that the birth of Jesus as our Savior, Christ, and Lord makes outsiders become insiders. And so the good news is if you ever felt like an outsider, today you are in a good place because you're, full, you're in a room full of people who were once outsiders whom God has made insiders. And we invite you, if you've ever felt like that today, to become an insider, to know the love and grace of God experienced in the Christmas story. So let's begin with Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And in the same region... Uh, when Luke says the same region, he's talking about the same region that Jesus and Mary and Joseph have traveled to. So this is a, a field or, or a meadow somewhere near and around the city of Bethlehem. Remember, uh, Joseph and Mary have traveled there under Roman decree during the census. Uh, they had to go to the region that their family was from, and so they traveled uh, with Mary, very, very pregnant, on their way. And Mary ends up having the baby, uh, no place to stay, in the manger, uh, and in and around that same region, we catch up with the shepherds. Verse 8, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. A couple things about shepherds we may not know uh, from, without some biblical history is the shepherds of the Palestine region were considered to be the lowest class of people. They were considered to be outsiders. Shepherds have a great reputation within the context of the, the modern church and Christian theology, but it was not that way at this time. The nature of the shepherd work meant that you worked outside with animals all year long. And this didn't allow you to participate in the weekly and ritual and cleansing of the religious system that the Jews participated in based on Old Testament law, which means that they were considered unclean people. To become a shepherd meant that you were going to take a job that was going to declare you ceremoniously and religiously unclean. Imagine being stopped at the doors this morning saying, hey, you haven't uh, gone through the right prayer rituals. We know you missed community group this week, and we've seen your tithing. You're going to need to wait outside. <laughs> and of course, we would never do that here. But that's what the shepherds experienced. Their reputation as being an outsider, being a uh, uh, designated as an unclean individual, um, left them lacking a good reputation, feeling like an outcast, unable to observe the temple laws of purification. They were ceremonial unclean. This got to the point that uh, they had such a bad reputation, they were considered to be liars and thieves by reputation, which meant that their testimony wasn't even admissible in court. Which means you had a crime committed against you as a shepherd, you couldn't even testify on your own behalf because your profession deemed you so untrustworthy you couldn't be trusted to deliver faithful and true testimony. And yet, even though they were a despised class of society, with the exception of lepers being considered the lowest class of man, their presence at Jesus' origin story reveals that God's outpouring of his grace is wide. These were men that God wanted to hear the gospel this night. Although their contemporary society hated them, it seems they had a very special place in the heart of God. We need to not fall into the trap of thinking that God is for the good people 
when in fact God is for the needy sinner and outcast who is desperate for his grace. So this morning, if you've come in here desperate, you're welcome. If you've come in here with a bad reputation, you are welcome. If you're coming in here this morning feeling like you were just the lowest of the low, you are welcome. And the birth of Jesus announces that God is for you, my friend. The shepherds would never find the sense of belonging and inclusion in their own community. However, the announcement of Christ's birth is all about making outsiders into insiders. But God has always been up to this. A careful reading of the scriptures will remind us uh, that many prominent people in biblical history were called by God from the realm of culturally insignificant and obscure to become a part of God's rescued ones and heralds of redemption, and these shepherds are no different. In fact, if you've been a part of Generations Church, you know that this is, in fact, the own testimony of our lead pastor, a cultural outcast whom God has brought and made an insider to become a herald of redemption. It's easy. Sorry, I'm not like... When in reality, if we were to carefully examine not only Scripture but our own lives, in truth, this is all of our stories. Cultural outsiders whom God has brought into his own family to become heralds, announcers of redemption. You see, it seems as though that what God was doing in the very beginning, he did in Jesus' birth, he continues to do today. Taking the outsider making them an insider, and then unleashing them to help bring more outsiders inside. That's what God was doing here with the shepherds. These men whom culture and society and community had cast out, God holds a special place for. So if, if you felt like that today, you are welcome here. And God wants to bring you on the inside. Verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The shepherds are doing nothing but minding their own business, living their life, doing their daily job, and then God, as he often does, breaks into their reality. A burning light pierces the dark black night sky. The glory of God, reflected in the radiance of his holy messengers, the angels, lights up the night. And the shepherds respond with great fear we're told. This is the natural and right response to the glory of God, by the way. It is overwhelming as a creature to suddenly be exposed and confronted with your creator. All that is good and right and beautiful and amazing and magnificent about God is suddenly present in his glory and magnified, and as a consequence, all that is bad and wrong and ugly about humanity is revealed in the, glory of, in the presence of the glory of God. There's nowhere to hide when you're in the presence of the glory of God. It's like that dressing room mirror at the department store that shows off all those holiday cookies you've been enjoying. There's just nowhere to go. It's the fear that caused Adam and Eve to run from God after they sinned. It's the keen awareness of personal sin and transgression and wrongdoing that made Isaiah cry out, Woe is me in the throne room of God in Isaiah 6. It is the appropriate response to the glory of God. To see and recognize how beautiful and amazing God is and to suddenly become very aware of how beautiful and amazing you are not. And yet, God does not use his glory to terrify these shepherds, but to deliver tidings of good joy. 
Verse 10. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is this day born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Angels throughout the scriptures are used as messengers. They're God's delivery men. Whatever God wants to say or to speak, he, predominantly within the birth narrative of Christ, we see angels play a big role. We'll see that next week when we examine Mary's reception of the announcement of Jesus. So what I want to do next is I want to talk about the message that the angels deliver, because it seems important enough that Luke uh, heard this testimony from the shepherds to investigate it and to write it down for us. And so we're going to break down the content and the result of the angel's message. So let's begin with the content of the angel's message. Part one, remember, the, the shepherds are struck down with fear at the sight of the glory of God as is natural and right as a creature in response to the creator. So what do the angels immediately begin their message with? Fear not. No need to fear. No need to be terrified. It is God's gracious response to calm our fears. This is the nature of our God and our gospel to calm and ease the fear of man. Whatever's nagging in the back of your mind, whatever guilt, whatever shame, whatever anxiety, whatever worry, whatever fear keeps you up at night, whatever fear causes your heart to race, whatever uh, fear causes you to worry with angst, the gospel of Jesus is here to temper your fear. The glory of God is not something to shy and run away from, but it's something to embrace as the answer to our fears. This message, fear not, will be used continually throughout the New Testament from God to his people. Fear not, fear not, fear not. For God will not use his glory to, to terrify us, but rather to bring tidings of good joy. Here we have in the angel's message of fear not, the first proclamation, the first record in the New Testament of the preaching of the gospel, the good news that is great joy for all people. For it is in the announcement birth of Christ, it is in the gospel of Jesus that our fears are replaced with joys. The second part of the message of the angels, the reason we need not fear is the good news that the Savior, the Christ, and the Lord has arrived. Jesus gets three titles here. Savior, Christ, and Lord. Each one has significance for who Jesus is and what he would accomplish. The first, Jesus is born as a Savior. What does that mean for us? It means Jesus arrived as a deliverer, as someone who would come and rescue those who were in danger of death and destruction. There is real danger for those who stand outside the grace of God. They stand under the rule and reign and wrath of God. And Jesus' birth announces that God would be rescuing them from that fate, from that sentence. Jesus is the Savior who comes to save us from sin, from Satan, and from the righteous wrath of God. He has delivered us from these deadly enemies by dying on the cross for our sins in our place and then rising again to give us everlasting life. The role and identity of Jesus was not something that just happened by accident or happenstance. It was planned by God from the very beginning. Jesus' birth is just the latest step in it. Jesus is born as Savior. That's the good news. Secondly, Jesus is born as the birth of the Christ. He is the anointed one. He is the one who was promised 
in the Old Testament scriptures, and he is the one who will come fulfilling all of the promises from the beginning. We can look at the birth of Jesus, and, and for us living today in 2018, 2000 years after the events of the New Testament, we get the privilege of looking back through history and seeing God who is a God who keeps his promises. That the promises he made to Adam and Eve in the very beginning were kept and fulfilled in Jesus. So we have that benefit, that as we look forward to the second coming of Christ, when Christ returns, not as an infant child under the tender care of his parents, but as a ruling, reigning king with the army of heaven, we can look forward with confidence because we look backwards with faith. Knowing that if God was faithful to fulfill the first coming of the Messiah, he'll be certainly faithful to fulfill the second coming of the Messiah. Amen? Amen. The Advent's a weird tension for us. We don't live in the spirit of the first advent when everyone was waiting for the Messiah to get here. He's already here. We live in this beautiful tension of awaiting for the return of the Messiah, knowing that with each sunrise and sunset, we get one day closer. Jesus, in his birth, is the anointed one who came as promised, fulfilling the promises of God from the very beginning. So Jesus is born as Savior to rescue us from sin and Satan. Jesus is born as Christ, the anointed one, who fulfills the promises of God. And he also comes, the angels tell us, he comes as Lord. That he comes as God incarnate. And this is the beautiful, crazy mystery of Christmas. That God, through his son Jesus, would leave his throne room, take on human flesh, and dwell among us. beautiful and wonderful story of God through his son Jesus Christ walking among sinful humanity. It's insane to think that God would leave the perfect to walk among the imperfect. To leave the holy to walk among the stained and impure. To leave perfection to walk among the broken. And yet Jesus is born as Lord, God incarnate, God made flesh. Bible commentator Daryl Brock summarizes the angel's message this way and the importance of the offices at the announcement. He says, Savior points to Jesus' role as deliverer. Christ points to his office in terms of the promised anointed one of God. And the Lord indicates his sovereign authority. That even as an infant, Jesus retains sovereign authority. At Christmas. That's the content of the angel's message. That is what ceases our fear that Jesus has come as Savior, as Christ, as Messiah, as Lord. The result of this message, the angels expect, is what? Great joy for all the people. Again, this is a reference to God's sovereign grace over salvation. The grace of God would first be brought to the nation of Israel and then out to the Greek and to the Gentile. That's you and I. You and I are included in the family of God and are a direct result and guarantee of the promise that the angels made that this great joy would be for all people. So this announcement that started with Palestinian outsider shepherds has now spread to Cerritos, California to include us. We are a fulfillment and evidence that what the angels said was true. That this grace and announcement that Jesus was born as Savior and Christ and Lord would be good news of great joy for all the people. You are all the people. You're present right there in Luke 2. 
course, the Apostle Paul talked about this, that this is actually the power of God for salvation within the gospel. When he said this way in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is the resulting good news and great joy of the angel's message. The salvation of God. And then, of course, we would expect a sign to know that all of this is true, right? We'd expect the angels to say, okay, listen, here's the announcement. The Savior is born. Here's the result. It's going to be good news of great joy for all the people. And you'll know this is true because we have this great, big, huge, amazing thing that you're going to go see now. Guess what it is? A baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying not in a throne room in a crystal crib, but lying in a manger. You see, from the very beginning, Jesus identifies with the low and humble, born into physical poverty, that we might know that he is identifying with us in our spiritual poverty. This is the joy that comes with the announcement of Christ. Joy is the natural response to having our fears ceased. When we are confronted with the glory of God, we are relieved by the gracious message of the good news of the salvation of Jesus, that he is our Savior, he is our Christ, he is our Lord. Our fears may be put to rest, knowing that there is one who has come to rescue us. There is one who comes to fulfill the promise of God. There is one who is in control of my life, even when I feel out of control. This is the joy that Christmas time that we remember and revisit year after year faithfully to rehearse this message. Verse 13 in Luke 2. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. The most amazing worship rock concert breaks out right here in the field. The angel comes, brings the message of good news, of great joy for all people that Jesus is born as Savior, Christ, and Lord. And then as soon as he's done, amen, the heavenly worship band kicks in like you've never heard before. And the sky is lit up with a multitude of the heavenly host. Consider this the army of God would come not to wage, more on, wage war on sinful humanity, but come to worship God for bringing peace, which we'll see more about in a moment. Their announcement, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those who, with whom he is pleased. They are announcing and worshiping the glory of God because of what God has done in the birth of Christ. He has brought peace to the earth with those whom he has pleased. And when we consider this peace, I want to talk just briefly about what this peace with God is not like. When we read of the angel's announcement that there is peace among those with whom God is pleased, here's what it's not like. This peace is not like human relational peace. This is not the peace that you and I have in a relationship when, based upon our mutual feelings and our mutual reciprocation of good behavior toward the others, we're not in conflict. If you're married, you know what I'm talking about. How fleeting and temporary that can be sometimes, right? I mean, have you ever had that fight? Like, babe, did you forget the milk? And then 10 minutes later, you're not even sure why you got married and you know that you don't like your mother-in-law? <laughs> not my mother-in-law, of course, who's here this morning. That was, 
That was, that was poorly timed. That was poorly timed. Yeah. The peace that we have with God is not like human relational peace, which is fleeting and temporary. The peace we have with God here in Luke 2, verse 14, is also not like governmental peace. That's temporary and unstable, that can change with the whims of a political leader and his affiliation. This peace with God is not like human relational peace. It's not like governmental peace. This peace that we have received with God through Jesus Christ is cosmic peace and with whom his favor rests. This peace is transcendent peace, which brings an end to the conflict between men and God. To those who hear the message of the coming Messiah, the war is over. Peace has become incarnated in a person, the Prince of Peace, who's come to reconcile with, with God. This peace is once and done and everlasting. When you receive the peace of God through the Messiah's work in Jesus Christ, it is over. You are secure with God. You can stop living at war with yourself, measuring your activity. God, did I do enough for you today to make sure that I'm still at peace with you? Brother or sister, that is broken religious math. You will always end on the wrong side of that equation. The peace with God is not like that. The peace that Jesus brings is cosmic peace. It's everlasting peace. It's supernatural peace. It is not based upon your behavior, nor is it based upon your circumstances. Have you ever done that game with God? Like, God, what, what are you doing with my life? Maybe it's a job change. Maybe it's a relational change. Maybe it's a diagnosis that has you questioning God. God, are you angry with me? God, I'm really sorry for whatever I did, but I thought this was going to be different. This peace is not like that peace. It's not a circumstantial peace. It's not a peace that's going to give you more good days than bad days because when we compare our good days and bad days to eternity, eternity wins. This is an everlasting peace. Let me free you from just that religious math this morning. Let me free you from that circumstantial angst and worry that if you have a bad day or, or, or a, a crisis in your life that it means that God is not at peace with you. No, no, no. You can get through the circumstance and get through the brokenness exactly because God is at peace with you. That you have a place to go in this broken, sinful world lets you down. This peace is so much bigger than that. Verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, this is awesome, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. It seems so simple, right? Like I'm sure there was more drama in it and more excitement, but just the way Luke pens it, and he translated it into English, it's like, hey, I think we should go see that thing that God just told us about. Verse 16, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. This is like real-time Christmas narrative stuff right now. The shepherds receive the message of the good news for all people. They see the most amazing worship rock concert ever, and then they go and they see this thing that they've been told about. There's, there's immediate response to the gospel presentation. Verse, 16, verse 17, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. 
And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The shepherds become the first evangelists of the Christian church. Hearing a message from God and then going in and delivering it to others. Their testimony, consider this, their testimony, just as I said earlier, although worthless in the law courts of the day, was valued by God. They who were once outsiders, God has entrusted to them the first human proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, announcing to all who will listen the message concerning who this baby is. Hey, did you know that this kid right here, Mary and Joseph, did you know this is the Savior? This is the anointed one, the Messiah we've been waiting for, that he is the Lord? They heard the gospel they came to Christ, they saw, they believed and proclaimed and their lives were forever changed. Wondering at the grace of God, glorifying and praising him for all that they had seen and heard and telling in them, telling others as it had been told to them. I close with the same opportunity that the shepherds received that day for you this morning. I invite you, if you're an outsider, Become an insider today. Become an insider in the family of God. There are two things you must believe and one thing you must do. Number one, you must believe that apart from the Prince of Peace, Jesus, you are an outsider at war with God. It starts with the bad news. But the good news of the birth of Christ, number two, the second thing you must believe is you must believe that Jesus is the Savior, Christ, and Lord, that he died for your sin and outsiderness and rose from the grave to make you an insider. The story does not end with his birth, but continues through his life to his death and resurrection, which was for your sake. Those are the two things you must believe this morning to become an insider. And the third thing you must do, like the shepherds, you must, as the shepherds did, return to your life, glorifying and praising God for all that you have seen and heard as it has been told to you. Ready to all others that you, an outsider, having become an insider, will now be used by God to bring other outsiders inside the family. All who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, just as they had been told. Would you pray with me now? Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the privilege of being called your sons and daughters. Thank you, God, for giving us a room that was once a bunch of outsiders who have now become insiders. I pray, God, that if there are those in this room who still feel like they're on the outs with you, that they would hear the announcement of your son, that his purpose in the world was to rescue them, and you would grant them the courage and the faith to believe today. Jesus, we love you, and we have heard good news announced about you today. And so we, like the heavenly host, like the shepherds, desire nothing more than to now worship you together as a family. Would you help us to do that, God? Would you clear our minds once again? Would you allow us to, to focus, to stay present in the moment with you and with one another? Would you help us to receive communion faithfully, to give our offerings generously, and God, to sing with our voices passionately 
to pray our prayers fervently. And would you receive all that is yours, God, we have heard and seen, both in the Christmas story and in our own life, God. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for this time. In your powerful and present name that we pray. Amen.